Or have you, I wonder, have you ever felt the pain point of talking about Jesus? That moment where you drop the J-bomb, you mention Jesus explicitly. I don't know about you, but I find sometimes a conversation, maybe even a whole relationship, can live in this realm where everything is kind of pleasant and nice and happy, what do you get up to at Christmas, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Maybe your mates know that you're religious, uh, but they don't really get what that means. But then you go and mention Jesus. Your conversation starts off pretty normal, what did you get up to on the weekend, went for a surf, hung out with some mates, Went went to church... And you can kind of feel like the awkwardness meter kind of rising a little bit. You mentioned church there. And they're like, church? Are you one of those Jesus-y people? And suddenly you can start to feel them kind of putting you in a box in their head. And now they, they know what you think about sex. They know what you think when they get drunk with you, in front of you. Uh, they know what you think about a whole bunch of different things. They start to kind of categorize you. And then you follow it up and you go, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm pretty, Jesus is pretty important to me, actually. In fact, I reckon Jesus is the most important person in the world. What do you think about Jesus? Whoa, asking an edgy question. Then the the awkwardness needle kind of is like gone right off the scale at this point. You've dropped the J-bomb, you've mentioned Jesus and you've asked them what they think. Now, of course, conversations can go better than others. Uh, Sometimes they're awkward, sometimes they're not. But the fact is, Jesus is, he's a divisive person. The moment you start talking about Jesus and the claims that he makes about people's lives, well, there's a price to pay. Now, in our context here in Australia, that price is almost always social. It may make things awkward, our our friends might think a bit differently about us, maybe it could cost us even an opportunity, you could lose a job or a promotion or something like that. But in other places in our world, well, the cost is actually very, very significant. It can cost people their lives for publicly owning Jesus. Saying that you're a follower of Jesus in places like like China and Afghanistan and North Korea, you could seriously get killed, even today, for being a Christian. But whatever the context, whether it's here for us or in another place, bringing up the claims of Jesus, bringing up Jesus, it always carries a price. The stakes are pretty high. (laughs) But here's the thing I want us to see tonight as we look at this passage... It's not just about us. The stakes aren't just for us to count. Uh, Have a look there at verse 12. It talks about the fact that Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through His blood. And so the claim of the Bible is that there is a holy God, a God who rules this world, who will one day judge it. And for those who are outside of Christ, what, what we all deserve for our sin... Is, is the Bible says, is hell, which is controversial to say, I know. But, because Jesus suffered in our place, as verse 12 says, outside the city, everyone who comes to God through Him is forgiven, made holy by the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And so, this message that we're talking about, this message of Jesus, is a message of salvation. It brings rescue from eternal hell and saves people into an eternal relationship with God, to be enjoyed forever. And so, catch this, this is huge, but hearing this message about Jesus is the most deep and desperate need of every single human on the face of the planet. Have you considered that? That's reality. 
And yet, in spite of that reality that I know is true, because of that pain point of actually talking about Jesus, because of what it might cost me, too often I stay quiet, too often I I keep Jesus to myself when I should bring Him up. See, suffering for the message of Jesus is hard, because I prefer to be comfortable and and not cross that pain point. But people desperately need to hear. And so, what's going to help us cross that pain point so that we'd actually share Jesus with people around us? That's what this passage is going to help us with tonight. And so, let me pray that God would do something huge within us by His Word. Let's pray together. Well, Father God, we pray, please, that tonight You would stir us up by this Word in front of us. Help us to see the need for the Gospel to go out with clarity. Help us to feel the weight of it. Help us to know the goodness of it, that your Son, Jesus, would come and offer forgiveness to a world that so desperately needs it. And so, Father, please help us to understand this this message you have in front of us tonight. We pray that you would, Lord, stir us up toward love and good deeds for your glory. Amen. Well, the first thing that's going to help us cross that pain threshold and start to share the Gospel is this. We actually need to follow the heroes of the past into suffering. Now, this didn't get read out for us, but have a look at verse 7 there, at the start of our reading. It says, verse 7, he says, Remember your leaders who spoke the Word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So, he's talking about leaders, people who've gone before them, whose lives are now spent, they've lived their lives and so they can look back and see the outcome of those lives and he says, remember those who have done that before you, who spoke the Word of God God to you, see how they made their lives count for something and he says, go and imitate them. Now, I think he's probably talking about the early leaders of the Christian church, the apostles and the leaders who first brought the news of Jesus to, to the world as it broke out. Uh, These men and women, they face prison and torture and death so that you here today could know about Jesus. It actually reminds us a little bit of the the heroes of the faith from the Old Testament in chapter 11, if you look back there, which we saw a few weeks ago. But here's the point, if it wasn't for these leaders that have been talked about here in verse 7, none of us would be here today. If it wasn't for the people who brought the Gospel the, the first time as it went out from Jerusalem... None of us would be sitting here today knowing Jesus. We owe them a lot as well. In fact, Christians down through the ages have, have suffered to pass on and preserve this message for us that you've got sitting there in your lap if you've got a Bible in front of you. You would not know salvation in Jesus were it not for those people. And my guess is, what's more, for most of us here in this room, if you're a Christian, uh, maybe in a less direct way, or in a more direct way actually, Someone probably suffered so that you could hear about Jesus as well. I don't know if you've thought about that. Maybe it was your parents, maybe it was a youth group leader who put up with you for six years to teach you about Jesus, maybe it was a mate who, who dared to open their mouth and, and ask you good questions and, and talk to you about Jesus and invite you along to hear about Him rather than just talking about the footy, which would have been easier to do. But because someone else suffered, you now know the most important news in the world. I've got a friend, Adrian, who works at church here with me, lots of you guys will know him. Uh, Every time he talks about how he heard the Gospel through his mate, Simon, he cries, 
He can't help himself and I like to tease him about it every now and then. Uh, But I actually think that's the right response, isn't it? To, To be grateful to God that there was someone who cared enough about you to sacrifice, that, that, that you would hear the gospel. And so, the writer here says, look to those who've gone before you, look at the outcome of their lives, see how it counted, look at what it's done and go and be like them. Now, having someone go before you, jump before you, it makes you braver, doesn't it? When someone goes ahead of you and does the hard thing. I'm a bit of a chicken when it comes to jumping into the ocean, I like, to go out, I like to go for a dive or a surf or whatever. Sometimes you have to jump off the rocks into the water to get in if you're going for a dive or if you're rocking off for a surf. Um, but I'm always the guy who's at least second into the water. I'm never the first in the water. I don't know where's Hazy. I don't know if you figure this out, but if you notice that every time we go for a dive, you are always the first person in the water. Did you know that? No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a chicken, yeah, yeah, so I'm always like, oh, I just better fix this flipper and I'll watch him jump in, I'm like, no sharks, he didn't get washed up by a crazy wave, I'll, I can do it as well, if he can do it, I'll jump too, uh, as a fact. So, if, if you want to be, be spurred on to do hard things and, and sacrifice for the gospel, then look to those who've gone before you, who've jumped ahead of you, you're not the first person who's going to do hard stuff for Jesus and you will not be the last. So, read the stories of people like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, you could go home and read this tonight, he died at the hands of an angry mob but because of him the gospel spread like a wildfire across the known world. Or people like William Tyndale, I don't know if you thought about this but because of him, he, he was choked to death and burned at the stake but because of him you've got an English translation of the Bible sitting in your lap because he was willing to do that. Or Jim Elliot and his friends, who took the news of the gospel to Ecuador and they died at the the hands of the people there. Eventually, the whole tribe, though, heard about Jesus. Look to those who've jumped before you and have courage. (laughs) Was it hard? (laughs) Yes, it was hard. But in the scope of eternity, man, it's worth it a thousand times over. And so, it'll be worth it for you as well. It'll be worth the cost. So, there's the first thing that will help us share the message of the Gospel, give us courage to do that. Here's the second thing, we need to follow Jesus into suffering. Now, you can see this where verse 8 picked up, it starts by saying that Jesus doesn't change and so His message doesn't change either. Have a look at verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever and so, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. So, there's probably some false teaching going on in this context that he's writing to, uh, where people are teaching wrong things about Jesus, probably stuff linked to Judaism, so mixing Christianity up with Judaism and he's saying, stay, just get rid of that, stay away from that, your faith isn't strengthened by eating this or that food, don't worry about that stuff, instead, your faith is strengthened by God's grace, he says, verse 8. Now, what he does next is he compares Jesus' sacrifice, the one that matters, with the Old Testament sacrifices. Have a look at verse 10 there. He says, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. So, he's talking about the ministry of making sacrifices. He says, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. 
Now, my guess is a bunch of that might be a bit gibberish to you as you hear that for the first time. There's some important context you've got to get with this. He's talking about particularly the Old Testament sacrifices that happen on a special day in the Jewish calendar, the Day of Atonement, which was like a once a year, really big deal kind of a thing. Uh, this was the day where all God's people uh, were cleansed by their, from their sin by the sacrifices particularly made on that day. So, this is a huge deal. That's what our reading back in Leviticus 16 was all about, that we was read before by Amber. See, normally when they uh, killed and sacrificed an animal, uh, they brought the animal into the temple, they killed it, they'd make the sacrifice, but then they would cook the lamb up and have a tasty barbecue as well, kind of like a holy barbecue. Do your sacrifice, yummy dinner for lamb as well. But not on the Day of Atonement. I don't know if you caught it as what was read there in Leviticus 16, but this day was a very different kind of a sacrifice. They used two different goats you might have saw. One's called the scapegoat, which is where we get the word scapegoat from, by the way. Uh, but it's, anyway, uh, verse 21 says it there in Leviticus 16. You can listen, listen in. The priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites all their sins and put them on the goat's head, the scapegoat. And then they'd send that goat out into the wilderness, uh, away from God's people, away from the camp, away from God's people. And it it symbolised the removal of sin, the sending of sin away from God's people. Now, there was a second goat who wasn't so lucky. He was the goat that got killed and whose blood was brought into the altar, into the temple to make atonement for people's sins, to pay for sins. But you don't go barbecuing this goat. You don't make a tasty meal out of him. Sin doesn't taste very good. Instead, did you notice what was said in the reading you do? You take it outside the camp and you burn everything. All the organs, all the flesh, everything. Burn it up except for the blood which goes to the altar. See, in the Old Testament, outside the camp is where you kept all the grosser stuff, all the defiled stuff, the things that was associated with being defiled before God. It was a place of dead bodies, unclean stuff. Picture for us the experience of... I don't know if you've ever been to the tip or to the sewerage works. I've never been to the sewerage works, but I've been to the tip. But when you go to those kind of places, you're there and you're in it. But when you get home, you just want to have a shower to wash that vibe off you. Well, on the Day of Atonement, the bodies were taken to the the dirty place outside the camp and they were burnt. Only the blood was brought into the altar to pay for sins. But notice how different Jesus is. Notice the kind of sacrifice Jesus makes. Because he's not an animal, he's not a goat. He's God himself come among us. He uses his own body, not a goat. And he doesn't go into the most holy place to make this sacrifice. Look at verse 12. He goes to the place of disgrace. Have a look at verse 12. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood, through his own blood, outside the city gate. He was killed on a cross. He died in disgrace, in the place that people would shudder to hang out. He died in the place of death and disease in the most humiliating way. And so Jesus' death, it does two things. First of all, It is the means of our salvation, but second, you'll see it's the model of our suffering as well. So, first of all, it's the means of our salvation. Jesus is the way to be forgiven. 
Now, every week there's people here who are checking out the things of Jesus, it's so good to have you here, but you've got to catch this, Jesus is the way to come to God, there's no other, not by some religious ritual or getting baptised or something like that, not by turning over a new leaf and trying to be good, only by Jesus, that's how you come to God and so come to Him, can I urge you, put your trust in Jesus so you can be forgiven, He'll wash away your sin, that's what the promise of the Bible is, He is the means of our salvation. But secondly, He's also the model for our suffering. Have a look at verse 13 and it says it right there, look at verse 13, He says, let us then go to Him, Jesus, outside the camp, bearing the disgrace He bore. So, there's a command there and it says to go and join Jesus, to go where He went, outside the city, to go outside the city. Now, you might hear that and be like, well, what does that actually mean? Like, is this just saying we need to suffer with Jesus in suburbia, stay away from Sydney, easy done, that's not too hard? No, no, we're to go and join Jesus in His disgrace, go, go follow Him into suffering, go to the place of dishonour with Him, the place that's outside the the cultural centre, it's on the fringe, it's on the edge of society, so identify yourself with Jesus that you'll stick out in this world and suffer as, as He did. Following Jesus will mean you won't fit in, it'll mean you you won't be seen as cool and relevant. If you align yourself with Jesus, you're aligning yourself with a suffering, disgraced King who died outside the city. Now, that's not the end of the story, He also rose again in power and there's wonderful blessings to be found in Him but that's the one you're aligning yourself with. Jesus wasn't accepted by this world, He was rejected and despised and humiliated in His death. Jesus says to His followers, He says, if the world has hated me, well, they're going to hate you also. And so, you have to choose. Are you going to be loved by the world or will you stand with Jesus? That's what He's calling us to. Have you committed to that? Are you in? Are you ready to stand with Him? Now, friends, the good news is that Jesus isn't like some army general who stands in the trenches and says, jump out of the trench, go take that hill, you go for it, I'm going to wait here. No, no, He's the one who leads the charge. He's out of the trench, He goes first and He says, come and join me, come and stand with me. He'll never send us where He hasn't gone Himself. And so, friends, here's how that helps us to to suffer even for the Gospel. The nature of the Christian life is you can expect opposition if you follow Jesus. In fact, if you've been a Christian for a long time and it hasn't cost you anything, then you're probably doing it wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says, "Everyone, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, there's actually a warning there, if you've been living the Christian life in such a way that it's never cost you anything, then it's time to step out of your comfort zone, it's what Jesus calls us to. Now, don't go looking for trouble to beat yourself up and picking fights with people, hoping to find persecution or something crazy like that, but if you live boldly for Jesus in a world that's opposed to Him, eventually persecution will come and find you, 
But friends, here's the encouragement. If you have suffered, if you are suffering even now for following Jesus, that is completely normal. That's what it means to be a Christian, to go to Jesus outside the city. There's been times in my life uh, where I've been made to feel evil for being a Christian, for the things that I believe, for the things that I would dare to teach others. You teach people that, really? You believe there's such a place as heaven and hell? Are you serious? Sometimes when you stand for the truth, you can actually start to second-guess yourself. You, you start copying all this heat and criticism from people and you wonder, Man, is this really the right thing to do? Is this really the right thing to believe? Well, if it's the truth about Jesus that's offending people, then yes. Jesus says, expect it. Come and join Him outside the city. Okay, so we've seen we need to follow the heroes of the past into suffering as we share the gospel, follow Jesus as we do that. But finally, here's the last piece. We need to follow our lips into suffering. So, he's just been talking about Jesus' sacrifice, but verse 15, he calls us now to come and make a sacrifice, verse 15. But it's, it's a bit of an unconventional sacrifice. Have a look at verse 15. He says, through Jesus, therefore, you Christians, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So, what's the sacrifice we're called to offer there? Praise, praise. Now, does that mean as we gather here at church, in our singing, in our worship, as we're gathered together, that that's a sacrifice to God? Yeah, absolutely it does. And so sing wholeheartedly when we gather together. Come to church every week on time, ready to engage in a sacrifice of praise to our great God. It's a piece of our sacrificial worship of God. The important part of church doesn't start when we do a Bible reading and someone gets up and does a sermon from six o'clock on the dot every week. What we are doing is offering a sacrifice of praise to God. All of it is important, it's worship of our great God. But, I think verse 15's got something more going on than simply what we do when we gather together here at church. Notice it says, offer a sacrifice of praise with lips that openly profess His name. So, I don't think this is just talking about the kind of praise you might do when we gather in the relative comfort and security of a church building. This is the kind of praise that openly says, Jesus is Lord, He's the King, in, in every context, including the times when it might actually be a bit of an unpopular thing to say. Now, for the early Christians, openly saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus is Lord, that was a really, really big deal. Uh, up on the screen here, check this out, you probably won't be able to read all of that, but it's up there, you can Google it later if you want. This is a little snippet from history, 111 AD, a few decades after this book was written. It's a letter from a Roman governor named Pliny uh, to the emperor, a guy called Trajan. It's basically like a little life hack on how to make sure you're persecuting Christians really good. He says, don't go looking for Christians to kill, but that's lots of work, don't worry about that. But if someone accuses someone of being a Christian, Uh, then you need to find if they're guilty so you can punish them. So, how do you tell if they're guilty? And he says, well, ask them to deny 
that Jesus is God. Instead, worship other gods. The real Christians, they won't do that. The fake ones, they will, and so let them go free. But if they refuse, like these stupid, persistent Christians keep on doing, then you can lock them up and kill them and punish them for being a Christian. Really simple and effective little life hack if you're ever a Roman governor, isn't it? Anyway, he talks about how these stupid Christians, they won't deny that Jesus is Lord. And so for them, openly praising who, who their God is, Jesus was a really big deal. Now, in our context, praise God, when it is nowhere near as risky for us to openly profess to be a Christian, is it? It's not like that. But even with all of our religious freedoms and protections that we have in this country, which has slowly been eroded away, by the way, it, it is still hard for us to openly profess, Jesus is my Lord, He's the King, in all situations, isn't it? It's not always easy. On the building site where you work, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, He's the King, that's not like the fast lane to popularity, is it? Unless you like being known as the weird 23-year-old virgin. Or, or at uni, you're at uni and you've got that atheist lecturer, atheist lecturer with a massive chip on their shoulder and they just love to pick on the Christians and say this and that about how stupid Christians are, for you to actually go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I believe what you're criticising there, that's not easy, it's not fun to own Jesus there, is it? Or even at home, it might be even at home for you as a place where this is really hard, to actually say to mum and dad, hey, I've been going to church for a while now, but actually, mum, dad, I've become a Christian. Now, they're probably not going to hate you for it, your parents probably love you, right? But, but it is fun to tease a religious kid who's going through a phase right now, when the rest of the family stays home and watches the footy or Netflix or whatever, it is fun to tease a religious kid who's in his Christian phase. N- notice here, I reckon there's a really good insight into one way which we can share Jesus with people. So, I think often when we think about sharing the good news of Jesus, often we think about things like the the historical claims of Jesus, the, so maybe the evidence for the Bible, all that kind of stuff, and it's good and helpful. But notice what we're being called to here in verse 15, openly praising God. Now, you could do that by heading to Aaron Affair and doing a flash mob and do some Christmas carols, sure, but I think the most natural thing to do to, to openly praise God is to build everyday praise of God into your conversations in life. So, just make that a part of life, name-dropping God. And I think some of our brothers and sisters from other churches around the place are actually wonderful at doing this. Um, some of my neighbours who live next door, they're an awesome Christian family from another church and what I admire, one thing I admire about them is the way they kind of just name-drop God and praise Him in everyday life. You know, they hear, oh, you got well from being sick the other week, real quick. That's good, praise God, He's good, isn't He? And I just say that, I'm like, yeah, you're right, He is good. Uh, oh, we're so thankful to Jesus for this weather at the moment, though they didn't say that this week, because this week's been terrible. But, you know, <laughs> but they just name drop Jesus in everyday conversation, in front of anyone. We'll hang out with our non-Christian neighbours and they'll just start talking about Jesus. I'm really thankful that Jesus did this. And I'm like, yeah, just name dropping God speak His praises, as if He's a real person involved in our lives. And someone says to you, how's your week been? How's your day? And you might say, well, honestly, it's been pretty hard, if you don't just be like, fine, because everyone does that, but no, no, actually, it's been pretty hard, stuff's been really crazy, but God's been good to me. 
He's looked after me this week. He's helped me through a really hard week. Have you, have you been lately? I've actually been really good. I'm thankful to God for, for how good He's been to me in this way, or whatever it is. I reckon often if you're not used to just name-dropping God and talking about Him in everyday life, um, it, it can be tricky. It's, it's a habit you need to form. But friends, if the things that we sing about in our songs together are true, then why wouldn't we talk about God like that in everyday life as if that were the case as well? I think sometimes our evangelism, we can talk more about Jesus almost as if He's a concept to be examined and wrestled with, rather than a person who we know, in relationship. Another way to think about this might be this, Uh, the, the friends you have who aren't Christians, would they more likely think for you that Jesus is a person you know, or a concept that you believe in? I wonder how we're coming across as we talk about God, because He is your good and loving God. We've got so many reasons to be thankful for Him, so many things to to praise Him for and so let's start openly doing that around whoever because He's our good and loving God. And here's something really cool as you do all of that, that kind of a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise to God, it pleases God. Did you notice that in verse 16 there? It says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others which is a great sacrifice as well, For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He's talking about the the sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of doing good and sharing with others. That stuff pleases God. It's a good thing to do. It pleases our great God. And so let's do that. Let's openly praise our good God and let's share and be generous with others around us. And so guys, this Christmas... As you hang out with friends and family and wonder what you're going to talk about, well, how about you name drop Jesus, bring Him into the conversation. This January, as we head into the summer series, is such an opportunity to share this incredible news about Jesus. How are you going to make this summer count? Well, let's please our Lord and good God and bring this life-saving news to a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Let me pray for us in that. Oh, Father God, we have every reason to be full of such thankfulness and praise of You. We're so grateful for Your goodness to us in everything. Lord, we, we adore You. You've given us life, You've given us breath, You've given us Jesus. You've given us salvation and every spiritual blessing in Him. And so, Father, we praise You, we thank You and we pray that we'd be quick to give thanks to you and praise you in every and any circumstance. Our Lord, please, would the gospel of Jesus go out on the coast and beyond, we pray, to your glory. Amen. All right, we're going to do something a bit different that we don't 